0: couldn't get it cleanly it's going to be played out and down the ice and that one's going to bounce down and that is going to do it the ubc thunderbirds with an upset for the ages as they knock off the number one seed university of alberta golden bears and
1: the t-birds are going to the national tournament unbelievable
0: the blue line gets it nickel go, let's go oh my Griffins making oh, it Teddy on the queen call Teddy <laughs> nickel trips it off go crazy go <laughs> here Griffins our
2: seven Teddy time OUA champion, <laughs> and I call in Teddy, Teddy nickel
0: so oh. the start. dinos are dynamite victory over Montreal, for the first time since 1995, the Vanier Cup will reside in Calgary.
1: Welcome back to the What's Up With You podcast, I'm Ben Steiner and as always I'm alongside Justin Levine. But today we've got a third host and that's Jasmine Yen, our women's hockey specialist here at 49. 49. We've got a lot in store for you today. We're going to talk about the coaching change that the Ryerson Rams had at the head of their men's basketball program, Borko Popich, out there. They're taking David Deverio from McGill to fill his shoes. We'll get into some what we learned and some quarantine talk about what we've learned over the last week, and then we'll talk to Jasmine about some of her favorite things from the 2019-20 youth women's hockey season, as well as how the NWHL's introduction to Toronto is possibly affecting U sports. After that, we'll take a little break. Then we'll get into it with Melody Daou, a former member of the McGill Martlets and Olympic champion uh, with the Canadian Women's National Hockey Team. And then we'll get into some U-Sports soccer and, of course, the cross-country skate with Justin Levine updating you on everything U-Sports men's hockey. So welcome to the show, guys.
3: Thanks for having us.
0: I'm really excited.
1: Uh, So I think our first thing... Uh, as we sort of mentioned, was David DeVario is taking over uh, at the top of the Ryerson Rams men's basketball program. Uh, a couple just quick hits, as not even the Ryerson Rams have officially announced this yet, but DeVario will be the third head coach in as many years at the Ryerson program after Roy Rana left for the NBA last year and Borco Popich was unable to bring the Ryerson Rams to the U Sports Final 8 this year. Uh, there were a few different candidates in, this decision, but Deverio did land as the winner uh, at the end of the day, as was reported by North Pole Hoops earlier today. Uh, Deverio is has won six RSEQ championships with the McGill Mar- oh McGill basketball team, not no longer the McGill Redmen. Um, and uh, we're not necessarily basketball guys, but I will ask you, uh, starting off with Jasmine, I guess, how important is it uh, to bring a new guy in when you didn't have a very successful season?
0: Well, I think it spices things up in the locker room. David DeVario, he has a very good resume in basketball. He's one of the most decorated Canadian coaches. So I think he brings a lot of expertise to Ryerson and it'll be exciting to see what he can do with this roster.
1: And Justin, uh, someone who knows hockey so well, how is it a, a tough adjustment for players, especially those who might've been there uh, for four, three or three to five years? Um, having a third head coach in their locker
3: room uh, yeah I mean it's very important because it helps you know it helps to mold a team better and I mean any help you can get when you when it comes to chemistry which is a huge part of you know sports in general is I mean very crucial so um, while I don't follow you sports basketball all, all that closely I do think that um, I mean perhaps from the from the hockey perspective that this was uh, a well needed move.
1: And Jasmine, just to finish off, how hard do you think it's going to be to adjust to possibly another third style of play in as many years?
0: I think it'll be a little difficult, especially with the quarantine. And like, we don't know how that's going to affect how quickly the coach will be able to meet with all the players in person and do practices. But honestly, I don't think it'll be that big of a uh, problem because Ryerson's been very good and... This is a very good coach that's joining them, so it shouldn't be too hard of a fit.
1: Do you think they'll find success this year, Jasmine? More success than they found in the last year?
0: Um, Well, that remains to be seen. I honestly, I don't know too much about their basketball program, but I know David DeVario is very good. He was very good in McGill. He had a lot of success there, and I think that he can bring a lot uh, new to the table for the Ryerson Rams to try out.
1: It's definitely a big change in youth sports basketball. We're seeing a lot of overhaul in the basketball scene, especially in the OUA. But something I wanted to get to this week, I know all three of us have had a lot of time to ourselves since the quarantine started almost 50 days ago now. And so I was trying to think of maybe something that's fun to do. And so I decided that we were going to share something that we learned this week. So Justin, was there something you learned this week that you sort of want to talk about?
3: Actually, there was. So... I learned that there's a lot of unrest in women's pro hockey. I mean, I knew this in a sense already, given everything, but I mean, there is really another angle added this week with the expansion. However, with the Toronto team now unveiled, the full picture let itself out via Twitter in the last few days. This being from the fan bases, as well as the players and staff members, uh, well, some. I haven't seen those of the PWHPA. I've spoken with three already this week, uh, in addition to Melody Daou, who shared the same thoughts about women's pro hockey standards. Um, and so, I mean, that that's what's really sunk into me this week. Ben, yours?
1: So, mine is a little less serious. I learned that there's a number of famous TikTok stars around sports. One of them is Zoe Westervelt, number 16 on the Windsor Lancers women's hockey team. She has upwards of 350,000 TikTok followers. It's almost as if Canada's national sport should become TikTok instead of hockey. Like, you look at Alfonso Davies, Tessa Virtue, and now even U sports athletes, well, they've dominated the app, and who would have thought that athletes would be dominating a TikTok, almost Vine-like app? Uh, Jasmine, what have you learned?
0: Well, I was listening to the Steve Dangle podcast this morning, and they had Anya Pacqueron, who's the director of the NWHL, and she was talking about how... um, how good their numbers were on Twitch this season. So like they got 8 million impressions on Twitch and that's so, that's almost, that's 96% better than last season when they were broadcasting their games on YouTube and Twitter. So I think this is a sign of what's to come for the sport media industry, like the landscape where it's not just traditional cable TV anymore. You got streaming services like Twitch taking over.
1: That's definitely an interesting point you bring up with uh, Twitch. Um, I know we're taking a bit of a tangent away from the what we learned, but I was talking to Lucas Weiss, uh, another sport media member uh, in the sort of Toronto sport media, and he was asking how eSports sports can find its way into people's daily lives. And I said, I think it's still probably through cable television, because that's still a very big way people are consuming their media. But I know both you and I have studied this year. And do you think that you sports might want to go to something like Twitch? instead of cable television um, to elevate their product?
0: I think Twitch is just an easier way to start off. For a cable television, you have to sell it and you have to get someone to buy this product. But on Twitch, it's like you post it and then the more people who are interested, the more uh, traction it will get and the higher up it'll be on the page. So I think if you were to start something off, I would start it off with Twitch. And especially with the numbers that the NWHL is getting, I can only imagine what kind of interest there is in youth sports and other stuff uh, where you could just post it on Twitch and you can get that niche audience and it doesn't cost anything.
1: And so, of course, you mentioned the NWHL. Uh, They're coming to Toronto, if you haven't heard. It's the National Women's Hockey League, a US-based league. They have a Boston-based ownership group. All women, they're going to be owning a professional hockey team in Toronto. And so, Justin, you've been really plugged into all of everything women's hockey, whether it's Professional Women's Hockey Players Association or the National Women's Hockey League. Can you give us a bit of a quick rundown on what this NWHL means uh, for women's hockey in Canada? And then possibly we can get into what this means for Canadian youth sports.
3: Yeah, so I mean, obviously, with it, with this expansion comes some you know rising tensions it's possibly some players, but not only that. It's again like like I mentioned and learning the fan bases are kind of going at it with each other online. We're seeing like for example, an, an advocate for the PWHPA, uh, Gary D, a couple days ago, uh, kind of voices his thoughts as to you know if you're expanding a team into Toronto, which is you know a big market for hockey, that if you're not going to have pro players on the team other than the five they've recruited, it's not, you know, top level hockey. It's semi-professional at best in his words. Um, And so this really has people, you know, people boiling over. Was was this the right idea? But the PW has been looking at this for a year now after sources told many, including ourselves uh, at the puck authority, that they've been looking at the GT area. They've been looking over all over Montreal to see where, where that was the best fit. So I mean, this is. I mean, again, there's the, the part that has to be reiterated is that this grows women's hockey. So, in in that respect, this was a great move because it again it it shows that despite heated tensions, that again we're all in this together to, to grow the game because that's what women's hockey comes down to right now with both with both ends for the PW. The way they're doing it is putting the best talent that they have on display with the Barnes-Arming Dream Gap Tour across North America. The NWHL, they're they're continuing on with normal season operations, playing their games uh, in Boston, New Jersey, Connecticut, Minnesota, uh, etc. And so, I mean, this is, for, for that sake, a positive thing. However, um, I mean, and a lot of these players are friends, uh, those being recruited and those with the PW. So there's going to be... Um, you know a lot of difference but Jaina hefford said that she's not concerned and that they're going to continue to go with the dream gap tour uh in you know in full force uh come this year when safe
1: so that's a lot of detail that uh on kind of where the professional women's game is going in north america especially in canada with the introduction of the nwhl's toronto team but one of the things that i started to wonder and i think uh, it was on the mind of Jasmine as well. Is How is this going to affect eSports, Jasmine? Um, maybe where they're playing? Could we see players go? Uh, what are your thoughts?
0: Well, first, for uh, if U Sports players can play, for the draft, eSports players are eligible as long as they completed their college careers. So this is really interesting because before, if you're a woman hockey player, then your career would basically be over by the time your college career was done. Unless you were good enough to compete at the worlds or at the Olympics. But now with the NWHL coming to Toronto, you have this extra step that you can take after your college career to play for Toronto's team or any other team in the NWHL. So that's really exciting. Cause now, you know, you have more doors open to you as a woman hockey player uh, Toronto actually signed Kristen Barbara, who used to play for the York Lions. She was a defense woman for the York Lions. So it's really exciting to see how this growth in the league is also growing uh, opportunities for the players as I well. know you and
1: I were talking a bit about uh, the NWHL coming to Toronto, and you mentioned that it could lead to more eyes on the women's game, maybe from scouts. Uh, could you expand upon that a little
0: Yeah, so if you have a professional hockey team coming to Toronto, you're going to bring in management, you're going to bring in scouting, you know, all the top um, management positions coming to the city. And now you're here, you have the York Lions down the road, you have the Varsity Blues and the Ryerson Rams all really close. And you can just go whenever you want, when you have free time, to go check out these games, scout the talent out, and see if there any players could be a good fit on your roster when they graduate. So this is really exciting because now you sports players are not just playing to win the uh, championship. They're also trying to compete for jobs and prove that they have more in the tank than just a college career.
1: It definitely, I do wonder whether we could see some of the Ryerson seniors. They had uh, six seniors who graduated this year, um, including people like um, Christiana green who were all stars with their team. Uh, I wonder if they might find themselves in the NWHL um, in the coming weeks and days. One of the other things that I've been wondering is, of course, the NWHL team that was announced doesn't have a place to play just yet. One of the places that seems to be perfect would be Ryerson's Madme Athletic Center, the former Maple Leaf Gardens. Why would that work and why wouldn't that work? If uh, Jasmine, you, you want to say why that would work and Justin, maybe why it wouldn't work.
0: Sure thing. I think it would work just because um it's a very it's a professionally run uh rank. So it's high uh high tech. Everything is state of the art. It's it's great. And then on top of that, it's where the Maple Leaf uh, the Maple Leafs used to play, Maple Leaf Gardens. So it's kinda like that homage of where the Maple Leafs started and where this team could end up. And it's at the heart of downtown. It's very accessible, subway, uh, streetcar. It's right next to the Eaton Center. So I think in terms of location and getting people to come to the rink, it's a great place.
1: Definitely some strong points on why they should be playing downtown. But I think Justin also has some ideas about why they shouldn't be playing downtown at let or at the Madamee Athletic Center.
3: Yeah. Um, okay, so I can vouch to the fact that the Madamee Athletic Center might not be ideal in the fact that they've got to balance their schedules with the Ryerson Rams, both men's and women's hockey teams, and that might be challenging. Um, however, and something else that uh, obviously comes with having a hockey team is, uh, you know, broadcast rights, and that's something that, um, I mean, let's say they ended up at Mattamy Athletic Center, they'd have to, you know, talk with uh, the Rams Live uh, producers and uh, those behind it um so i mean there there's one option b there's there's i mean other places Scotiabank bank pond is uh seems like a very you know convenient location and it's a home to an ojhl team and it's actually a really really decent uh not only rink but you know arena to uh, to host a professional team in um i mean as for where the furies played at the ford performance center that one's hard to get to without a car however they got a really strong following there despite that um, they were almost selling out. I mean, and that's uh, where the Maple Leafs occasionally practice as well as Marley's. So, I mean, yeah, uh, like Jasmine said, uh, there are some conveniences as to why it would work, but I just think with, you know, all the schedule piling that it just, I don't know that it would click.
1: Yeah. I guess another complication could be um, the fact that there were, there's exams as well from Ryerson University, which is the main tenant of that building. Um, So moving on to a bit more U-sports talk. Jasmine, I know you covered a lot of U-sports hockey this year, uh, 449. Are there any memories that stand out to you uh, when you were covering women's hockey especially?
0: I think one of my favorites was like back in October when I covered this Ryerson-Rams versus Varsity Blues game. And it wasn't that interesting of a game. The Blues won 1-0, but it was the first time I did color commentary, so it was really exciting for me personally to be able to cover this game Uh, in a way I never thought I could, and then on top of that, to be watching players that are women instead of men, which is like, I've been watching the NHL my whole life. It's all men. That's all I see, and to be able to cover a game where the players on the ice look like me, it's it was really cool.
1: That was the school day game, wasn't it, too? We, lots of kids in the yeah. stands? Yeah, I remember I was actually I was watching that game in class because I was wanting to see how you were in your uh, first broadcasting opportunity, um, and both of us were not the tallest people, so we had to, uh, yeah, we, we had, had to get the, the box. stool uh, to get on the camera because uh, one of the guys, the guy, Brandon Cassidy, the guy that you were broadcasting with, and uh, I did a lot of calls with on both men's and women's hockey this year. Uh, he's a big guy, uh, and you and I would definitely be out of the frame if they just had to frame it up to our heights. <laughs> Um, but, uh, when you were writing for 49, I know you watched a lot of U sports hockey as well, uh, just online, uh, and writing from the comfort of your house. Are there any games that you think really stood out
0: online? Um, well, when the blues won, that was a great game. Uh, they were just dominating the whole season. I've never seen anything like it. And I think in general, I never realized how physical women's hockey was because, technically the checking isn't allowed technically, but big, it on technically that way yeah I was actually shocked to find out that was the rule because all these games I'm watching there's so much physicality so I think um what I learned a lot from this season is that women's hockey is really fascinating it's not as fast as the men's game but I still think there's plenty of action and I would advise anyone who's hasn't watched a game yet to check it out because it's really cool to watch
1: Yeah, it was an exciting season. Uh, I think all three of us can definitely agree on how exciting it was. And, of course, the Varsity Blues ending with the Macaw Cup at the end of the OUA season. But for Jasmine, I know you've looked at a couple of the schools that have kind of stood out in their recruiting. Not many have announced stuff, but you did a piece on the Nipissing Lakers. Is there anyone on Nipissing who sort of stands out to you?
0: Well, I I noticed what the Lakers were trying to do with their additions were – Most of those players, uh, most of their four additions are very physical players. They're not all super big and tall, but they play a very physical game. And one that really stood out to me was Madison Lebel. So again, she's not very big physically, but her whole career, she's been playing against boys. So uh, she's developed a physical play. She didn't play in the women's league where checking again is technically not allowed. So she was able to... Uh, do whatever she wanted no holds barred and I think that that will be really interesting to add that kind of player to your team because number one she plays a physical game but also on top of that when you play against you know boys uh, they're going to underestimate you they're not going to take you seriously and then for you to keep up with them and to be at the same level physically it takes a lot of hard work a lot of dedication So I think she's also a very good character ad for the Lakers as well.
1: It's a situation you don't see that much anymore. You used to see it a lot more of girls playing in boys hockey until they reached post-secondary competition. Justin, have you noticed a trend that has might have changed in the way that girls youth hockey is being played?
3: Um, Yeah, I mean, for starters, what's uh, obviously the most significant thing about girls youth hockey is now they're being taught by some of the best i mean and this includes i mean a couple legends but for example having talking dow who's an assistant coach at university i mean as girls are growing they're being coached by people who are absolute stars i know caroline oulette uh has coached younger girls than than what dow is currently doing uh with montreal university uh she is actually still there as a part-time assistant um and i think that that's important because they're getting that you know experience and they're being they're being pushed to be at their absolute best and well yeah like like was mentioned that you know checking isn't exactly allowed I mean they're being taught that it's okay to play physical and you know put a decent product of hockey on the ice regardless
1: and if we are to look at the OUA as a whole heading into next year if you had to pick a team that was going to win we'll start off with Justin Uh, Then we'll go to Jasmine and I'll finish off with the recruiting that's happened so far with their performance last season Uh, and the graduates. Justin, who do you think is going to win the Macaw Cup this year?
3: Um, Okay. That's a really good question. If I had to take a first guess, just based on uh, recruiting, the Guelph Griffins again.
1: Uh, Yeah. I mean the Guelph Griffins, they haven't announced many recruits yet in the women's hockey. Um, but they definitely did put together a strong year. They went out in the semifinals against the Toronto Varsity Blues. Uh, Jasmine, it was the Varsity Blues who won this year. Who do you have winning next year?
0: I have them repeating. I think the Varsity Blues are still a powerhouse. Uh, Most of their key players are still here next season, and they're going to be hungry for a repeat. And on top of that, the Blues do a great job of recruiting. They always get these young superstars and – on and cuz it's not hard to sell playing for the Varsity Blues. They're, they're a historic team. They have so much success. Um I think the Blues have a very good chance of repeating. They've also got a
1: very strong TikTok game. A lot of their players have even made TikToks during practice, which I've noticed.
0: That could help. Uh, yeah, repeating. I mean maybe
1: you show a bit of team morale through TikToks. Uh like come, come, come to us. We know how to make TikToks during practice. Um there were there were a few really funny ones that came out this year. I uh I tried to approach some players to write an article on them and Unsurprising, not surprisingly, they were uh, quite tentative of being interviewed about something so casual such as TikTok. For me, the winner is going to be the York Lions. I think what Rachel Dory has been doing there and their whole analytical team, um, as well as Dan Church, he's a legendary coach. They nearly made it to the, they nearly won the Macaw Cup this year, uh, and I think that next year they'll make the, take that one other step and finally finish finish it off. Uh, and have that OUA gold medal around their necks. So now we're going to go to an interview with Melody Daou. Uh, thank you guys so much for joining me today, um, or like all of us on the podcast today. Uh, we're going to go to the, the Melody Daou interview. Justin spoke to her just a couple hours ago, uh, and then we'll get into some UBC soccer recruits. We'll get into some U sports talent that's gone to the NFL, and as always, the cross-country skate with Justin Levine on everything men's hockey.
2: One of the best school in Canada and also at that time it was the best hockey team so um, I was really fortunate to be recruited by them and um, play there for five years I had unbelievable uh, time just being there with my teammates being coached by Peter Smith and uh, yeah I only remember good memories
3: and once you came to the CWHL I mean this must have been a little different for you, only because practices, as I've learned from my time covering the Markham Thunder, were, were I mean, late at night, then games A in the middle of the day or B at night during weekends. And so <laughs> what was it like going from, you know, whatever, whatever your normal day routine was, whether it was day job or not, to, you know, late night practices? And was that something manageable? And I mean, that's part of the reason that's, that so many aren't going to the NWHL, as that's not going to change. So, I mean, what was that like and was that a thing you were able to make happen?
2: Yeah, um, at McGill I was in class all day and then uh, we were training well, I was training from, like, 3 to 4, 30, and then we were on the ice from 5 to 7-ish, and then going home, eat, and then study all night, and then um, same thing the next day and on the road during the weekend. So it was a very busy schedule. Uh, I learned to manage my time for studying and uh, social life, and I think that was really important for me while having a little bit of fun. And then... Um, when I went to the CWHL, um, yeah, it was really different. I didn't have a job, but um, I still needed to take care of my sponsors, so that takes a lot of time. And um, practices were actually at night, uh, which was from 8 to 10 p.m. So I would go to the gym in the morning from, like, 9 to 11, 11.30, 11 and then I would have all day to uh, recover and do whatever and then uh, had to go practice at night so yeah that was the life before uh, being a mom and I was fortunate enough to have Hockey Canada which allowed me to not have a job where they actually pay us to play hockey which is uh, amazing but all the other girls that play in the CWHL that aren't on Hockey Canada or Team USA. they actually had to work from I don't know seven to five and then uh, train and then come to our practice and do that every single day. So um, those girls I have a lot of respect for uh, for what they brought to our game and um, they continue they continue to come to the rank and with their smile and I think that's really impressive to see and be a part of.
3: Right, and I think that, I mean, a lot of this that you just said is, is why it's so important to get you guys that support now more than ever, because that's really hard to manage. And yet, I mean, somehow through, you know, st- studying, having fun, finding time to take care of your sponsors, et cetera, et cetera, you were, I mean, despite the fact that this was difficult, you, you made it all possible. So, I mean, going back to your, your days at school now, what made you want to play university hockey at home in Canada rather than going to the NCAA?
2: yeah i saw a question on twitter actually um today someone was asking that and i think it's it's something i could talk for hours but for me um i didn't know if i wanted to go to university for studying i didn't know so um hockey obviously made my choice way easier Uh, i wanted to continue playing hockey so i was like yeah i'm gonna make it to the university and and then Yeah, I had the choice in between uh, about 42 um, U.S. university NCAA or Ivy League schools and uh, a couple in Canada. And for me, what helped me choose is just how stubborn I am. Um, There's not a lot of girls that play on hockey canada and that went to a canadian university and i just wanted to prove to everybody that it was possible if you would put your mind up to it and it doesn't matter where you go it's what matters is how much work you put into and that you invest and i think that's what i wanted to do and it worked out for me i went to two olympics after that so um I think it really doesn't matter. You just have to click. Uh, you have to be um, happy with where you are. And I think Canadian school, um, if you're a great player and that you work hard and you study hard, um, you can make it to the Olympics. It doesn't matter if you choose the best team in the U.S. or the best team in Canada. You just have to, to prove yourself and um, develop as a hockey player. Choose the right... Um, yeah, I think it, it's what made
3: me understand to stay right um and i mean again i think a lot of that was really beautifully said uh it's all about dedication um and i mean that led you to an olympic gold so i mean you've really found your path and i mean i for one am a big fan of yours for that reason thank you of course so um talking more about your mcgill days what are some of your best memories from your time at the Martlots?
2: Oh boy. Um, so many good memories. Um, I think what I really enjoyed was at the start of the year, we would always leave and do a retreat as a team. And it was away from the the, r- the rink, away from the school, just the team and the coaches, and we would have a blast. And um, for a full weekend, I think that was a lot of fun. That's, and obviously I can't, go beside all the the time we went to the CIS um, together as a team. I think it was pretty special to make it there. Um, And when we won RSEQ, I think it's also very special.
3: Right. And speaking of special things, can you describe the best McConnell Arena atmosphere that you played in during your time at the Martlets?
2: Um, Oh, boy. I would have to say when we actually played uh, the University of Montreal in playoffs uh, that one year, uh, I think the fans of Montreal were <laughs> very loud, and so were our fans, and I think that's where we got the biggest crowd, is when we are playing them, because that was the best two team of the league.
3: Right, and I mean, now again, going from, you know, collegiate play to... professional play how was the transition from youth sports to not only the professional but the international game
2: um i'm i was pretty lucky because i was already kind of doing both um in 2014 i left McGill for a full year to go um centralized in calgary with um, the olympic team and then made the team so i kind of had the best case scenario to adapt because I was going back and forth with university and the Olympic team and then when I transfer um, after um, to the CWHL I think the hardest thing was for me to not be with my team all the time Uh, I was used in actually yeah in university you're used to be with your team almost 24-7 and where um, with the CWHL like I said earlier there's girls that work till five and they need to go train others are gonna be stuck in traffic because they finished work later so you only see them like 10 to 15 minutes before practice and then we jump on the ice and after practice it's 10 p.m and they have to work the next day so they have to hurry uh, back home so I think that was the biggest adaptation for me I was like oh my god this is real life now like we're not in school anymore
3: yeah i mean from the players that i've spoken to this week that's kind of the same memo that that transition in that way is something that's you know that takes time to adjust to um but i mean that aside as well i mean i've i've learned this from the wisconsin batteries the ncaa um, is that they put together a very professional environment so i mean in terms of mcgill what was the experience like there not only the environment but the resources that were set in place for you guys and like were practices at normal times? Can you talk a little bit, a little bit about that stuff? Yeah.
2: Um. Obviously, uh, being at McGill, uh, we were treated very well. Uh, the athletes, especially, um, when we had to miss um, exams or classes. Uh, they knew that we were on the on a sport team so they were really uh, good with it and i think um just the way we were treated we could get a uh, physiotherapy anytime we could get treated uh, same thing with our gear there was someone there all the time uh, to sharpen our skates and uh, get our stuff ready i think uh, having the coaches there full time it's just good so you can go and sit with them and do video and try to get better. So, um, And also a strength coach, uh, having him there all the time and uh, taking care of us. I think that was uh, a great component where when you switch to the pro league, um, it's not there yet.
3: Right. And speaking of switching to pro league, when you guys were on the road, I mean, I know that meals weren't provided uh, in the CWHL. That was something you guys had to take care of but travels were so i mean looking with your days with mcgill were the meals provided by the team um i mean because again leisure time meals in the CWI gel i know that that was like if you wanted to do something or get something yourself that was on you not not the organization
2: yeah i think that's another um part where you can compare um or any youth sport team i think when you go on the road the bus is there and um your meal is going to be ready on the bus after your game to make sure you you eat and uh they know how to treat athletes uh, right and then when you go to see uh the pW sorry or the CWHL, um that's where we were lacking like on the on the roads so we Needed to provide our own lunch, and again, it's different for every team. We were kind of lucky in Montreal where we had a, a sponsor called Les Le Demoiselles, where they would um, make a salad or sandwich for for us to have on the on the bus before our games and after our games. But it's not the same for every team, that's for sure.
3: Right. I mean, I've heard different things about you know University of Toronto and uh, York University, and of course, this is just because I live in Toronto. Um, So, I mean, I guess, again, with, you know, travel and meals in mind, let's say going down to Toronto for a weekend against the Furies, can you kind of describe what, you know, a basic weekend experience was like?
2: Yeah, um, in my time, we would uh, leave from McGill probably the day of the game or the day before, actually, and then we would get there, uh, go to the hotel, get ready, maybe have a little nap, and then we would... Go play and then uh, sleep in the hotel after the game, and usually play uh, there again the next day. So, this is the kind of trip that you make because we're not in, in the same uh, conference, uh, McGill or Montreal with Toronto. But um, it would happen at the beginning of the year where you play exhibition games against them.
3: Right, and lastly, on a collegiate note, you spent a single season as assistant coach of the Montreal Carabins. Um, when you went into coaching for that one season. Can you speak as to why you did with the Montreal Carabin instead of the Martlets?
2: Yeah, I'm actually still working with them. Um, I'm a part-time assistant. and I've been loving uh, my experience there. Uh, Why I didn't choose McGill over the Carabin? Well, I just wanted to make sure I could... um, build my own coach uh, philosophy, and I think uh, being at Miguel and learning from Peter Smith for five years, I learned so much on how he does things, and uh, I loved it, and then I think for my career, I just need to see more and be around more coaches, and um, that was one of the main decision uh, I made for myself, I wanted to see from somebody else for a couple of years and see what they're doing and how I can become the best coach possible uh, after my hockey career.
3: Right. And I think that the fact that you're even engaging with coaching, which is, I mean, what a lot of ex-players do, again, this, uh, this can be Caroline Ouellette, for example, who coached you, um, end up doing. So I think that's uh, really nice that you've, you know, jumped into the community in that sense to uh, help the next generation, you know, learn and grow.
2: Yeah, I think it's really important to give back. And um, I learned so much from many coaches and they're all different. And it's important to to take the best out of everybody and um, build your own coaching uh, philosophy.
3: Absolutely. So that part wraps up uh, the collegiate.
1: We're back on the show. Thanks so much, Justin, for doing that interview with Melody. I know she couldn't join us live on the show. We record... A little later on the east coast but uh that interview was a great interview and there is more Uh, you can find that on justin's twitter at justin levine hbs so justin what was the thing you brought you took out of that interview
3: something that actually that i walked away with is the joy that she has for the game and not only that and that like she's completely onto the pwhpa mission but she loved her collegiate days, loved, loved, loved. Like I mean, the entire experience to her was something that she basically said she she's gonna walk away and always remember because everything was done was done right, and I mean she was looked after well, and that that was something that she got carried that she carried away with her for you know the remainder of her career because her coaches were absolute stars not only on the ice but off the ice and so she's learned from that and is bringing that to the Montreal Carabin and so I mean it's something about the people that, the people you're around and that was a huge influence on her so I mean being able to speak with her this evening was an absolute honor and I mean she couldn't have been you know any better she was great
1: and of course the Carabin they're hosting the U Sports Championships uh, for women's hockey next year so she could be playing a pretty big role in U-sports hockey um, in just a short period of time. But one thing I did want to get to is a little off the beaten path for us here at 49, uh, a bit about the NFL and U-sports football. And so the NFL draft took place virtually with Commissioner Roger Goodell saying the picks from his living room. And it actually had some of the biggest view- viewership numbers of any NFL draft. But there were two U-sports guys. They weren't drafted, but... It- Just on the day later, they were actually signed by NFL teams. Mark Antoine DeCoy from the Montreal Caravans, the same ones of Melody Daoub and Carter O'Donnell uh, from University of Alberta both signed with NFL teams with the Green Bay Packers picking up Carter O'Donnell and the Indianapolis Colts picking up DeCoy. Uh, With them joining the NFL, they become the 37th and 38th players from Canadian University football to go to the NFL. I think it's it's a pr- definitely pretty cool uh, to see guys going to major leagues, especially when you consider that Super Bowl champion just six months ago, Laurent Duvernay-Tardif, he won basically the biggest prize there is to win in North American sports with the Kansas City Chiefs.
3: Absolutely. I mean, it says a lot about the accomplishments that come out of a U sports program. And I mean, seeing two more sign on with NFL teams is absolutely huge. And these are guys that, you know, a little something about. So, I mean, why don't you, why don't you share with, with the, our crowd here of what it is that these teams are getting in these players?
1: Yeah. Well, these, these players, they're, they're strong players. I'm not a football expert myself. Um, but from what I've heard, I've talked to a few people, these players do have a chance, especially uh, decoy. He has a chance of cracking, uh, the Indianapolis uh, roster right up, out of training camp. And of course, it's a 53-man roster that they need to crack. Um, and the and Carter O'Donnell, he's going to face a bit of a challenge to get on the Packers 53-man roster, uh, but it's definitely not out of the question. If One of the things about O'Donnell is he plays a bit of a more special position as an offensive lineman, and he's actually the first offensive lineman to go to the NFL from U Sports since Duvernay Tardif, uh, who won the Super Bowl. Um, he Dubnyk Tardif was actually on the front page of Sports Illustrated online today because he was he of course went to medical school when he was playing football with McGill and he's on the front lines of the COVID nineteen pandemic and he's fighting the pandemic in hospitals and long term care homes uh, since he's not able to be training to play football and defend a Super Bowl championship so I've got to say that's pretty cool uh, when you look at what Duvernay Tardif is doing as well as uh, another former U Sports. Player Haley Wickenheiser.
3: Yeah, I mean these athletes really show the compassion that they re- really have, and like you just said, with Haley Wickenheiser, she right now is in her last year of med school at the University of Calgary, and she's been in Toronto doing rotations. Um, the hospitals that she's been working at are unknown, other than Mackenzie Health and Richmond Hill. Um, I mean, so she's been le- leading something called Conquer COVID nineteen, which has had a PPE drive every Saturday and this past Saturday was the last of them and so now everything that they've collected through donations which goes from you know devices to masks to gloves to gowns it's all going to be distributed to the hospitals and the people who need it most and they've been distributing them them each Saturday after the drive ends which was from 9am to 5pm so some incredible work by Haley who's been out there all those hours every Saturday and then Tardif who is now working in a nursing home uh, to help out on the front lines. As Right now, those are some of the most dangerous places to be um, just because of, you know, the old age and the way that this disease, unfortunately, is affecting the elderly.
1: Yeah, I mean, Wickenheiser, she still has a lot of pride about her time with the Calgary Dinos. We spoke to her, uh, both of us actually spoke to her when she was being inducted into the Hockey Hall of Fame about her time when she was playing youth sports. And I know that she even was still using the Calgary Dinos bag when she went to the Legends game at the Air Canada Centre, uh, and she spoke so highly about playing Canadian University Hockey, and that was even before the rebrand from CIS to U Sports. I can only imagine uh, how much better it is now. Speaking of some players who have left U Sports, there's also players coming into U Sports, and that's where I take a look at some soccer stuff happening in Canada West. We spoke about soccer last week quite a bit with Emil Riga, but focused on the OUA, but today, I want to focus on the UBC Thunderbirds in Canada West. They're the national champions from 2019. They won in Victoria, basically just a ferry right away. And they're bringing in eight new players, three midfielders, two defenders, two strikers, and a goalie. And only five of them are from BC. They're bringing in three people, two from the States uh, and one from Ontario. People who are flocking to play with the Thunderbirds because they won. I think it's a, a fact we can see winning helps recruiting uh, and they're getting some top talent, including a couple of girls from MLS academies um, and talent from across North America. They only have three graduates this year. And with bringing in people like this, I could definitely see them repeating as national champions, which is not something you usually see unless it's the Brock Badgers in wrestling or the Carlton Ravens in basketball. So, Justin, I know you're not a soccer guy, but one thing I did want to ask you is, how does winning help recruiting?
3: Oh, my God. Winning is, I mean, it's such a big help because it, it it draws in those players, you know, the reality to them that this team won, they know what they're doing. The coaching staff knows how to drive a team into a winning area. And so, that I mean, that to a player is attractive. I mean, r- right there, you're saying, okay I want to be I want to be a part of that I want to help this team win again I, you know back to back years winning something important and no matter where you are it's it's always going to be something important that's being won so I mean it's an, it's a huge impact and so again with UBC here, I think that for the, for those players who committed this was a, really a no-brainer
1: yeah it's it's always been amazing to me how when you win a championship or even if you're hosting a championship, it's like players want to flock to your school. Uh, I spoke to UBC men's hockey head coach, Sven Butenshan, and even he said that by just making the final in Canada West, there's already so many more players wanting to come to his program. We're going to go for a little bit of a break here, but on the other side, we've got Justin Levine and his cross-country skate, your weekly update on U Sports Men hockey recruiting. Back to the show. We are going on a bit of a cross-country skate now. We're going to skate from west to east, checking in on everything there is to do in U sports hockey recruiting. So, Justin, if we start in Canada West, who do you look at? Who may do this this week?
3: All right, so if we look at Canada West, it was the Saskatchewan Huskies who made made a lot of noise this week. And what'd they do? What'd they do? They did this. They brought in Jackson Kaluski, Ty Prefontaine, and Parker Gavlis. Two of these commitments were made official on Wednesday and Thursday. However, with that in mind, Victor Finley reports that the school isn't done yet with still more to come.
1: Of course, the Saskatchewan Huskies are defending Canada West champions. They never got a chance to drop the puck at the national tournament. They did take down the UBC Thunderbirds uh, in that final and did so pretty handedly in front of quite a ruckus crowd at Merlis Belcher Place. Is bringing in guys from the WHL still the way to go?
3: Yeah, I don't. I certainly don't think, think it can hurt you are bringing in experienced guys from a CHL organization. And I mean, anytime that, that you can do that to help bulk up a youth sports organization, it's certainly not going to hurt. So I don't, I don't see, you know, any downside to this.
1: Is there one of these guys between Jackson Kaluski, Ty Prefontaine and Parker Galvis that sort of stands out to you?
3: You know, as I was, re- I was reading into their stats, uh, Ty Prefontaine actually stood out to me. So, um, I mean, while these are all good players, if, you- if you're going to look at one guy to have a constant eye on, that's who it is. And why is that? What does he bring? He brings production on the offensive side. And that's something that, again, any team can use. And the Saskatchewan Huskies as they look to find their way back to the Ken West finals. This is something that they're, you know, that they're going to need. And I mean, having someone who can provide it, you know, constantly on a game day basis, that's, I mean, is, that can never hurt. So um, again, Jackson Kalusky, uh he can, you know, sort of move the puck. Parker Gavlis not far behind, but uh, the leader of, of the pack is Prefontaine. So that's something that the Huskies um, will be bringing in come this season.
1: And so the Huskies were the only team to really make news in Canada West this week. Uh, no more programs shutting down like we saw last week with the Lethbridge Fronghorns. Uh, but as we move west into Ontario uh, and the OUA, uh, there's actually a bit more West Coast hockey that made news with two BCHL players committing to play U Sports hockey. Uh, Joshua Brown or Joshua Bourne, excuse me, of the Nanaimo Clippers, uh, is going to be playing with Brock in the OUA. Uh, As we skate our way over to the OUA over a couple of provinces. Um, if we get started with the Concordia Stingers, um, what have they done? Who are they bringing in? And why is this significant?
3: All right. So, the Concordia Stingers of the OUA have brought in Yan Akon uh, from the QMJHL. He played five years in the league and he's, he split those five years between the Bay Kamu Drakar and the Katie Bathurst Teton. He was dealt in June 2019 in exchange for a third round draft pick, that being a 2020 pick of Halifax. After being traded by the Drakar, Aqua was named by the Teton as the 33rd captain
1: in franchise history. It seems to me like we've been seeing a lot of captains from their, USP- uh, from their CHL teams coming to eSports. Do you think this is a sort of random trend, or do you think there's something that has to do with captains and wanting to pursue an education?
3: Um, honestly, I think it might be both because I think that a lot of these players, they're, they're used to a certain pattern of, you know, they go for the education for, for the day, or they're doing it online, depending on, you know, where it is they're located, and then they're hitting the ice, you know, uh, late afternoon, early evening, whether it should be for practice or for games, and those who are used to, to that routine, uh, for those who see it that way. They'd like to continue on with the education side and see and see you know what life they can have outside of hockey later on. But um, in terms of CHL itself, I think that you know they know that there's a lot of solid players out there, whether they be captains or not, uh, who who have experience from you know junior days. And I mean, the CHL really gives you that opportunity to expand on those skills and help a team win. So I think it's a little bit of both mixed in
1: there. And I guess one other reason might be the reason that we see so many captains, because often, oftentimes a coach will pick a captain who's a bit older uh, and might not be the biggest NHL prospect. Right. Um, as we move on, we take a look at the Carlton Ravens. We're sticking in the OUA East. Uh, they brought in Jeremy Masella. He's committing to the Ravens after a four-year tenure. Coming from the West in the WHL, do you want to speak a bit about Jeremy, Jeremy Masella and what he's bringing to the Ottawa School?
3: Yeah, so Masella split between the Victoria Royals and Prince Albert Raiders over his four-year tenure in the WHL. He was dealt in January 2018 in exchange for right winger Jay Jerome. After being traded by Victoria, Masella, 21 years old, was an alternate captain on the Prince Albert Raiders. So here's an example an example of a captain move. Someone who can truly be a leader, not only on the ice but off the ice. And I mean, obviously that shows, given that he was named as an alternate captain. So. Coming to Carlton, he will help to bring a team together, and he will also persuade an education. Uh,
1: what, we don't have the uh, the Ottawa GGS on our list this week, but of their eight recruits they brought in so far, of course, most of their program is ge- graduating. Of their eight recruits, I think they brought in something like five captains, uh, so they definitely got a lot of leadership. And I wonder whether there might be too much leadership in one locker room. Uh, nobody will really be a follower, which I think you, you need if to have a successful
3: leader. Right. And Bradley Chenier is one of them. He was a captain of the Sudbury wolves. Um, even though he is only there for, I believe a short time. Um, so yeah, again, it begs the question uh, how much captaincy can one team handle? So um can it hurt? Yeah, because different minds can, you know, kind of backfire against one another. So it's, I mean, it, right now it's unforeseen as to how that might work out, but definitely starting to keep an eye on as we approach
1: the youth sports hockey season whenever it's deemed safe to do so. Our next guy that we're getting to is, with the West, is joining the Western Mustangs. It hasn't been announced by the school, but we've heard from multiple sources that he is joining the school. So what can you tell me about Shane Bielitka and him joining the Western Mustangs?
3: All right, so he, he supposedly joins the Western Mustangs pending confirmation from school announcement after a five year tenure in the OHL. He split it between the Sudbury Wolves and the North Bay Battalion following the trade. He was dealt just after the New Year in exchange for Bradley Chenier, who we just mentioned uh, with the Ottawa Gigi's now. Now, Chenier w- with the Gigi's, as I said, was an acting captain of the North Bay Battalion, excuse me, and meanwhile, Balitka, who's 20 years old, an alternate captain on the Sudbury Wolves. So, again, this is another example of CHL leaders being being sought out like that. Joining Balitka to North Bay was a package of draft picks for future selections. Those picks were as followed. A third-round pick to North Bay for 2023, and a conditional eighth-round pick to North Bay for 2022. Now, while sources confirm this To 49, that Balika is in fact headed to Western. A school announcement once again has yet to be
1: made. So, you mentioned the return on those picks. Uh, While it doesn't really sum up the quality he's bringing to the Western Mustangs, what's the kind of player you get for that kind of return?
3: For that kind of return, you'd like to hope that you're getting a player who can do a little bit of work on both sides, I mean, of the puck. So, again, offensively and defensively. However, in Balika, I mean, this past season with North Bay, you're seeing... or Well, I'll start with his Sudbury stats, actually, because this might make a little more sense, given that's where he started the season. 16 goals and 16 assists for 32 points. Now, he was traded to North Bay, 7 goals, 13 assists, 20 points. So you're getting someone who can do some damage. And I mean, more, more times often than not for a return of that sake, this is pretty good. So, I mean, I think that they did okay here. And um again, with Balika joining Western, I think that they're getting a quality player in him. Could he? I mean, he's not, you know, your average standout, but he's really not bad.
1: Uh Funny you say average standout because so often we think of, junior hockey players as standout prospects that they almost become average. All that talent uh, kind of molds into one. Of course, he'll be joining the Western Mustangs, who lost to this next team that we're talking about in the playoffs. And this team went on to win the Queen's Cup. And of course, it's the Guelph Griffins. What have the Guelph Griffins done this week, Justin? All
3: right. So, after previously bringing in Aiden Brown from the Barry Colts and Nick Isaacson from the Mississauga Steelheads, they've once again jumped in from the Mississauga Steelheads and they brought up Liam Ham. Now, Liam Ham comes to the Griffins after four years in the OHL. This was split between the Niagara Ice Dogs and the Mississauga Steelheads following a trade. He was dealt in November 2018 in exchange for two second round picks and a third.
1: So, Liam Ham, he's joining Nick Isaacson, uh, as you mentioned. They're two teammates, they're going to be playing on the same team. Um, they've basically been together for three years now. How, does it help bringing in teammates or is it better to bring in individual talents?
3: It's always good to bring in teammates for the sake of chemistry because, I mean, the, th- the thing about that is if if two minds kind of w- have worked together for so long and and then they find, you know, a new environment as, as these two are, it's only going to help lead a team towards greater success and they can together – in a sense, captain this team by uh, by leadership standards to you know shape their ideas and and bring it and bring that to the coach and the coach will you know work work with whatever strategy that they may or may not bring in and then form their season around that. So I think that this is a move that absolutely has advantage um, bringing in Ham to join Isaacson. So they have Ham,
1: they have Isaacson, they have Aiden Brown. They have Colton Ishney. They have Lucas Giotto, who, of course, has the red shirt this year. Do you think they could repeat again?
3: Oh, I absolutely think they could repeat again. There's no question about it. Brown is a scorer. Ham, on the other hand, he's a scorer. I mean, the numbers this year didn't really show that, but he's capable of it. Isaacson, he can as well. I, I just. Ishney, he's a good goalie, and he, he really showed that in the OJHL this year. I just think that there's so much talent here that it makes that potential skyrocket.
1: I mean, you look at some of the teams, and it's almost as if some of them have gotten weaker. Of course, the York Lions, they got stronger. They brought in guys like Connor Sinken, um, and they they're are expected to bring in a few others as well. Um, they, they're going to be a stronger team, but Ryerson, who finished near the top of the standings, they finished in second. They're losing some key guys like Taylor Dupuy Matt Mistley. Now it's really relying on Matthew Santos to kind of force that offense. So I'm sort of worried what Ryerson's going to do. And then you look at Toronto and they had a big disappointment. Uh, of course, they're bringing high-powered forwards like Cole Purbu. But when you lose to the eighth-seeded team is the number one seed, you do have to worry. Oh, absolutely.
3: There's, there's a need to worry. And I think with in the case of Ryerson having lost the talent that they did, that they're really going to have to step it up, especially because at this time they only have, you know, in terms of recruiting Roberts who came in from Niagara and Ryan Wells and ballers uh, both from the OJHL. So um, well, I'm not really sure how this is going to work, it, it does seem that right now they've got uh, a, a little bit of a game to step up in a way. If you, if you look from the recruiting side and well, talks of a goaltender, uh, were had a little while ago. We're still kind of waiting. We're to see uh, what they do to replace Taylor Dupuis.
1: Of course, if there is a replacement to come in for Taylor Dupuis, we're probably looking at a third goalie in that situation as Garrett Forrest uh, is pretty much guaranteed to start between the pipes for the Rams. And Triton Pano is going to be the backup most likely. We'll leave the OUA for next time. We're going to go even further east. We're going to take a look at the UNB Reds, and then we'll take a quick look at some news with the UPEI. Panthers, but Justin, what do we have with UNB Reds?
3: All right. So with the Reds, we see Nick Gay commit to the University of New Brunswick after a four-year tenure in the queue. Now, the, the time that he spent in the queue was split between the Chicoutimi Soganese, the Drummondville Voltigers, St. John Sea Dogs, and Rimouski Oceanic. The Oceanic are the team that was last played on by Alexis Lafreniere, who is the, the projected first overall pick. In the 2020 NHL entry draft. Now, that has been delayed due to COVID-19, just like everything else has been canceled. So, um, I mean, there's that. But, I mean, well, Gay playing, having last played with Lafreniere, I mean, that that's quite the chemistry line. Yeah, I
1: mean, it's definitely cool. You go from playing with a prodigy, uh, I think is the only word that we can really use to describe what Lafreniere is. I watched one game of the Ramoski Oceanic this year when it was on Sportsnet. And I think it was like 9-6 or something. Lafreniere had like seven points. The kid's ridiculous. Uh, And if he gets... That was an insane he's He is going to be picked first overall. I think that's pretty consensus. And it's definitely cool that a guy from U Sports, uh, or, or a guy who's joining U Sports, played alongside him this year. There's one other thing that... Absolutely. One other thing that happened in the AUS, or I guess related to the AUS today, was one of the few players who has made it all the way from U sports to the NHL retired Joel Ward after 736 NHL games has called it a career. Uh, He spent a lot of time with the Pittsburgh Penguins, uh, a lot of time with the Washington Capitals, a lot of time with the uh, San Jose Sharks. And we're going to see if we can get Joel on the podcast in the coming weeks. We have a few feelers out there to get in touch with him, but he's a statement guy. Uh, I know that there were, a lot of situations in the past few years where people are like, to me, uh, you can't make NHL from U sports. And I would point out Derek Ryan with the Calgary Flames and Joel Ward, wherever he was playing. So he had a successful career, but now we just have to wait for that next guy. Uh, and maybe that'll be Matthew Phillip uh, from the also in the Calgary Flames organization. Um, but definitely sad, but happy day to see Joel Ward uh, retire from professional hockey.
3: Absolutely. Ward was known as an enforcer and he was known uh, on a personal basis to stick to the thoughts that he cared most about. And I mean, the matters that he saw as most pressing and most attention needing. So I think that uh, the San Jose Sharks are going to miss him as well as NHL, as sentiment has spilled has out all day since he announced his retirement.
1: Yeah. And uh, another NHLer who's actually had some connection to esports uh, and spoke out this week was Devin Setaguchi. Uh, I don't actually know where Setaguchi's playing now. Is it? Still Minnesota, I believe. Uh, And he reached out uh, to the Lethbridge Stronghorns because he had trained with them throughout this year um, and especially over the summer. Uh, And, of course, he was pretty saddened by the fact that Lethbridge had to shut down their program. Now, we've covered some of the more serious things. We've covered the U sports players going professionally in the NFL. We've covered recruits coming to UBC for women's soccer. We took a look at the NWHL. And we took a look, of course, at all of the big recruits across men's hockey. But there's a few a bit lighter things. I mentioned TikTok earlier. Uh, there's about five or six um sports TikTokers that have over 100,000 followers. So that's cool. Uh, Concordia men's hockey forward Anthony Bouchamp and his girlfriend saying Stand By Me in a bit of an impromptu musical performance that they put online to pick up the spirits of everyone who might be feeling down because of COVID-19. So I thought that was pretty cool. And then probably the coolest thing I've seen this off season is all of the women's hockey teams are nominating each other for a challenge of where they pass the puck through different videos. Uh, And I mean, nearly every team in women's hockey has been challenged. I think it's pretty cool what everyone, whether it's singing TikTok or puck passing across the country has sort of come up with in a strange time it is of COVID-19. Uh, I think that's probably all for today's podcast. Thank you so much, Justin, for doing that interview with Melody Daou here on 49. Uh, And also, of course, with all of your research and constant following of youth sports hockey and basically every sport across the country.
3: Absolutely. It's been my pleasure. Uh, Before we wrap up, the one thing I will mention uh, that we should probably get out of the way as well in terms of recruiting is that Macaulay Carson from the Sudbury Wolves today Also announced that he's joining UNB. So, I mean, he played alongside Quentin Byfield, the projected number two for the NHL entry draft. And so he now joins Jason Wilms and Austin Keatings with UNB. So, I mean, yeah, well, I mean, this has been really successful, and I'm absolutely glad to follow you know, use sportsmen's hockey and provide my insight as an OHL writer. And I mean, I look forward to seeing what the coming weeks and possible months bring for us, uh, since it seems this, this whole, you know, quarantine thing might last a little bit longer um, to let the, the virus of COVID-19 start to fade as we flatten the curve. So thank you, Ben, for having me. Thank you so
1: much, Justin, and we'll see you next week.